Welcome to the Scriptures and Sermon Podcast from St. John's Presbyterian Church in Cornwall, Ontario, Canada for Sunday, February the 11th, 2024, Transfiguration Sunday. We welcome you and pray that you will feel God's presence wherever you are. Let us come before God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, speak to us now. And let the fire of your spirit burn brightly in our hearts. Open our minds to receive the wisdom of the law, the hope of the prophets, and the life of the gospel. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, your living word. Amen. Our first reading, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could see them no longer, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Our responsive psalm is Psalm 50. Verses 1 to 6, and the words will appear before you on the screens. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls calls to the the heavens heavens above above and to the the earth, earth, that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. 
the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Our third reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it, is the Lord, for it is God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this morning's gospel lesson, taken from Mark chapter 9, reading verses 2 to 9. Let us listen for God's word as we hear from Mark's gospel. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Catching light or catching fire in a bottle. Within the the Celtic Christian tradition, there is the idea called thin places. These These thin places are locations where God seems to be particularly close to us. Places where encounters with the divine just just seem to be easier somehow or, or seem to be more frequent, more people report these, their encounters with God in these moments. It would seem to make sense though too, doesn't it? Just not in the Celtic tradition of Christianity, but for all of us. Because often in scripture, the biblical characters are depicted as going up into, onto a mountain to be with God. That somehow the act of ascending a mountain gets them closer to heaven. And indeed, that's what is happening in this morning's text. Jesus has gone up a mountain to be alone, to rest and renew, to be with God, to pray, and on this day, to experience the glory of God. 
Within Mark's gospel, there are three different accounts that, like today, draw back the curtain and reveal to us the glory of God. Three separate accounts where a thin place has been discovered, and this is one of them. Those three places, so that you know, are Jesus at his baptism today at the transfiguration and at the moment of Christ's death upon the cross. In all three moments, like some earth-shaking thunderclap, the space between heaven and earth contracts and for a moment we're allowed to glimpse the glory of God. All three of these stories have a certain form about them. They they follow a pattern, so they should stand out to us if we're reading our Bibles carefully and if we're not too forgetful as we read from one episode to the next. The first thing that happens is that the heavens break into the earthly realm. The second is that God's messengers descend. The dove at baptism, the clouds today, or the thick darkness of Good Friday. Then a voice from heaven is heard proclaiming Christ's divinity. That that sonship is declared and the apocalyptic prophets in one way or another, Moses and Elijah, show up. Those ones who are expected to be with us when God erects his kingdom make a brief appearance. And there is perhaps a sixth characteristic as well. Those who look on are uncertain about what to do. Like the disciples here in this story this morning, witnessing the light of heaven flooding in all around them and the great hope of their Hebrew faith being realized in the appearance of Moses and Elijah, the disciples are uncertain how they are supposed to respond. I suppose that shouldn't be too surprising. Wouldn't we be uncertain how to respond? If the glory of, the, of, of God erupted in around us. They're uncertain how to respond because, well, they're out of time and place. right? Nothing appears as it did five minutes ago. Nothing appears as they have ever experienced it before. Heaven has come so, so close to earth that they feel that they can almost reach out and touch it. And God's glory shines all around them. As we think of Peter and James and John this morning, it's almost like some great comedic sketch that you might see on TV, where a character who has been in a darkened room is suddenly overwhelmed by a spotlight and then goes stumbling around, running into things, knocking things over because their eyes are not accustomed to the light. 
And so here, the disciples, well, they're stumbling about a little bit because they are not accustomed to seeing the light of the glory of God. Not knowing what else to say, Peter interrupts this divine moment with his words. Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What do you say when you don't know what to say? You say whatever pops into your mind first, usually not quite up to the moment. And I think that's what Peter does here too. Is is Peter thinking about the wilderness wanderings that we read about in the book of Exodus? The wilderness wanderings of the children of God and how they pitched a tent wherever they went as a place to hold God's glory and to shelter the rest of the community from being overwhelmed by its light? <laughs> Maybe. Is, is Peter thinking perhaps of the religious festival of booths, that great celebration of the harvest held only four days after Yom Kippur, the day of, in which the people atone for their sins. And when people then live in their fields in booths made of palm branches. Maybe, perhaps that's what Peter is thinking. Is Peter seeking to prolong this moment to, to kind of give Jesus and Moses and Elijah some time so that they can sit together? Maybe so. Or is Peter trying to figure how are we supposed to respond to God's glory? Mark doesn't tell us. Those are all details of the story that Mark leaves for us and our imaginations to fill in. For most of our married life, we've had the f good fortune to live close enough to bodies of water that we've had the wonder of fireflies in our backyard during the warm evenings of the early summers. And from time to time throughout the years, one of our kids or another has come running into the house looking for a bottle so that they can go out and catch the fireflies. I don't recall them ever being successful at the task. You know why. The reality of fireflies is that the light is fleeting. They're over there for a minute and then the light disappears. And then it reappears over here someplace. But it's impossible to catch it. And to hold it in a bottle. It is uncontrollable and elusive. Just like the glory of God that we witness here today. As soon as Peter started trying to figure out what to do with it, how to control the glory of God or, or how to, to contain it, how to preserve it for just a moment longer and put all of this great revelation that he's witnessing into the bottle, Mark tells us that it's gone. And yet, 
for one brief moment, it was there. And its purpose had been fulfilled. The sonship of Christ had been made manifest right before their eyes. And they'd seen it. And it was wonderful in their sight. And then they went down the mountain. Back to all those other people who had not yet seen the glory of God in Christ. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Not yet. They wouldn't understand. Just like the disciples up on the mountain didn't understand. Cannot understand the glory of God. You can only experience it. And isn't that the way in our own lives too? For each of us there has been a moment perhaps two or three or four but moments fleeting moments when we have felt that God has been close to us and that we have been close to God. Perhaps in times of, of difficulty and hardship and suffering when we've given our pain and our grief over to God and we've felt that sense of the burden being lifted from our shoulders and we know that for a moment God was with us perhaps it's something slightly more exciting at a at that first moment when you finally put all of the Rubik's Cube pieces of Sunday school lessons together and everything clicked into place and all of a sudden you went, oh, now I understand what it's all about. And for a moment you're filled with that warmth and that glow of knowing that Christ died for you, Christ lives in you, Christ died for you. And knowing that your life will never be the same because of that moment. And we wish those moments could last forever, don't we? But then we go back down the mountain. Back out into the world to our friends and neighbors who might not understand, back to the workaday world and all too sudden the glory of God seems to disappear. But that's the question that this text this morning raises. We know that like Peter, we can't pause this moment. We can't put it in a bottle and screw the lid on tight. To just kind of squirrel it away in the pantry somewhere. Once we have experienced the glory of God, the love of God, the peace and the comfort of God, 
then we need to learn how to continue to be nurtured by it without controlling it. And maybe that is the greatest gift of all. That the glory of God cannot be controlled. That it wanders away for a while and then it sneaks up on us when we're least expecting it like a shadow out of the corner of your eye. You're not quite sure if you've seen it or not. But I think there was something there. As we look, it's interesting that the lectionary pairs these two readings together. It's, this is a time of the year when, when those who develop the lectionary take the scriptural text, put it in a box and go, and shake it all up. Nothing's where it's supposed to be anymore. Right? We've just jumped from last week and Mark, when we were still in Mark chapter 1, and today we're in Mark chapter 9. We're, get, we're at the transfiguration. We are seeing the glory of God. Oops. Almost went out of the camera. We're seeing the glory of God. I almost disappeared for a moment, just like the glory of God. And then next week, we come back and circle all the way around to the beginning of Mark's gospel when we deal with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. There are years that I go, man, why do they do that? Why don't they just stick with the story? Let's put off the transfiguration till I don't know, sometime in June when it's sunny and bright and there are fireflies outside. But maybe it's for this reason. Because we need to know about the glory of God as we prepare for next week and Jesus' temptation. And as we prepare for the weeks that lie ahead as we move forward toward the crucifixion and the resurrection. That we need to know that God's glory is in all of these stories that we will hear. That even when Jesus is sorely tempted as we all are, we'll talk about that next week, God's glory is near to us. If only we could draw back the blinds so that the light could shine in. That will be our task as we move forward in worship. It's our task each and every day to pause for a moment as we start the day. Somebody once said, there's two sorts of people in the world. There's a person that lies in bed in the morning asleep and opens one slow eye and says, good God, it's morning. And then there are the others who open their eye and go, it's morning, good God. We come 
and give thanks to God for just a moment at the beginning of our day to maybe see in the little slivers of light of dawn that God is with us once more as he was at the beginning and will be forever. And that God offers to us one moment to know his glory before we go off into the busyness of the day that so easily distracts or causes us to spare. But there's a moment when the glory is there. And perhaps, just perhaps, we will be able to say for the rest of the day, my eyes have seen the glory. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Scriptures and Sermon Podcast from St. John's Presbyterian Church in Cornwall, Ontario, Canada. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe so you can get new episodes each week. Be sure to check out our website, stjohnscornwall.ca, where you can find links to our social media pages and more information on our ministry. Until next time, God bless.